It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust. Here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is the place where you'll find all of your tech news, even when there is no news like there was last week. And as always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going well. It's a good week. Uh, it's a great birthday. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a year older, but none the wiser. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, did do anything extra special for your birthday? Extra special, no. Uh, my actual birthday, we went out to dinner. Um, that's about it. And um, I had some friends uh, gathered together at a local burger joint for lunch this past weekend. Mm, that sounds good. Actually, a burger sounds really good right now. Mm. Well, it's a really good burger joint. Like They bake their own buns. Uh, it's all natural beef. And the service is phenomenal. Um when I got there and I got in line to place my order, they wished me happy birthday. <laughs> huh. So they already knew by then that it was your birthday? Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. I, I don't know if my guest that showed up before me told them it was my birthday or not, but uh, they wished me happy birthday. They were very friendly. And at the end of the day, they they came out and gave me a, a cake and, and, <laughs> and uh, offered to sing me happy birthday, but I declined. <laughs> hmm. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, anyway, this is show number 66, and it sounds like we're a little rushed because of the lasagna tonight. So, <laughs> um, might as well go ahead and jump right into our stories and a little bit of site news, nothing too major, but it's a part of one of our tips of the week, so I'll save it until then. But we'll start right off with apparently 93% of Australia is, going, is getting government-run fiber. <laughs> in the next uh, five years or whatever. Yeah, it seems like the next eight years, if I read it correctly. Um, and it's $38 billion they're spending to run fiber around the the, the country um, to give most of their citizens access, access to high-speed internet. Um, but uh, I read this report. I had a huge question. I don't know if you saw it, but I didn't see it in the report. Um, this was talking about connectivity on the on the island, but I didn't see anything about a backhaul. Are they running more lines to, to get a, a bigger backhaul? From my understanding is that there's um, nothing for sure yet, but hope they're hoping to maybe work with Telstra, who apparently already has all the conduit and everything, and they've got a fair bit of excess room in a lot of the conduits for running fiber and stuff. So they could end up saving a lot of money um, making some kind of a deal with Telstra for laying all the fiber. So it could right, actually but, be even cheaper than they're expecting. But they're still going to be restricted on the internet leaving the island and hooking it up to the mainland. Yeah, that I would assume so. Okay. But what really makes me wonder is apparently 
they're just kind of rolling out the infrastructure and then the ISPs can kind of buy into the service. But I'm wondering if this is kind of a backwards way of getting the filtering in that a lot of the ISPs have fought up until now. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's a really good point. Um, If they control the infrastructure, of course, they can control the flow of information. Uh, There's been rumors that here in the U.S., I shouldn't say rumors, but that we have uh, Internet services, uh, ISPs have something called some sort of black box that the government can tap into and gain gain control and and listen in. Um, But, of course, if the government in Australia is rolling this out, they can build that directly into the system. Yeah, well, for at least for here, I'm, it's pretty much common knowledge that the government has access to pretty much all kinds of communication. I mean, I know they've got all kinds of deals with like AT and T and whatever for anything that routes through an AT and T data center. They get a copy of it, so that way, in case it's for national security or whatever. And as I recall. There, I believe there is some kind of a special satellite intelligence thing that there's not a whole lot known about. I believe the code name on it is Echelon, where they can intercept all kinds of data communications, phone calls, and stuff like that as well. Right, and then, then there was the email system. I think they called it Carnivore. Um, I forget the name of it, uh, but I think it was Carnivore. So, yes, this definitely sounds like it would be a nice Trojan horse sound like they're doing a really good thing for the country, but instead they're working in their own self-interest, which is not surprising for any governmental body. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering with this rollout of fiber and everything, if there's going to be the issue of bandwidth caps that have seemed to plague Australia for a while. They've finally gotten to where they are um, a lot more up-to-date in terms of bandwidth uh, and speed and stuff. But they, last I knew, they were still having major issues with really low bandwidth caps in Australia. I'm kind of curious to see if that has any effect on it. Yeah, right. And as I was saying, if they don't use this to enhance the backhaul, uh, it's just going to make that bandwidth cap uh, worse, the situation entirely uh, exponentially worse. Because with faster speed, people are going to be consuming more and more data, and they're going to be hitting these caps a lot quicker than previously before yeah i kind of wish we'd have these have these speeds here in the u.s because they're talking about what is it uh 100 megabit service Mm -hmm. yeah that would be really nice well google still has not announced where who's getting the one gigabit uh fiber lay down have they no i don't think they're supposed to announce that until the end of the year early next year or something like that i think they're taken a year to figure it out yeah well um from our story last week about the about the ipb4 address shortages uh, this rollout in australia and in the united states and all around the world um, it's showing that why that number is being accelerated from previous estimates mm-hmm. yeah what's really nice for the Australians is not only are the major metropolitan areas all getting fiber, which would be like 90 to 93% of the population, but even the people inland are still getting, going to be getting some kind of a 20 megabit a second satellite based broadband. 
which I know the um, ping times and stuff on those are really bad, but still, that kind of speed over satellite would be really nice. Yeah, well, something's better than nothing. Um, I know a lot of their populations are on the outskirts of the island because of the uh, lack of water inland. Um, and But it, it's glad that they're not neglecting anybody, but making sure that even... Even the people inland uh, will have access to uh, internet, even though they may not be able to do any uh, serious gaming over it, but they will still be able to get their news and stay in touch. Yeah, that's one of the things where Australia really has a big edge over the U.S., or at least when it comes to like broadband and stuff, is with the U.S., people are really spread out all over the place, but with... In, but with Australia, everybody's just kind of gathered around the coasts and highly populated areas. So rolling out something like fiber isn't that big a deal compared to trying to do that here in the U.S. Yeah. They're going to be lucky. It's going to take some time to roll out, but eight years still seems fairly quick to do a nationwide rollout, even though it is uh, in densely populated areas. I mean, that's still a lot of streets to rip up. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to see if they actually get some deals done with Telstra and if they can come in underneath their budget or what they are expecting it to cost. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like they've, that with the deal with Telstra and some other ways, they're going to be able to cut some corners and make things even cheaper. But speaking of the Internet and places that like to filter the Internet, apparently libraries are now allowed to filter the, inter- the, the Internet and it's not considered censorship according to a court in Washington State. Yeah, this is um, stating that since the library has limited resources, that they have the ability or the the right to limit what uh, how they allocate that resource, which means they can do filtering um, in their own network, which I think is wrong. Um, maybe what they should do is have a segregated portion and maybe once one computer is uncensored. Uh, and then that way they can they can have most of it uh, most of it censored if they wanted or filtered because of restri- resource constraints, but at least have one to to have the ability to reach all of the internet. Well, the way that I've heard and I think I kind of subscribe to is that make it as to where it's filtered for everybody, but for people over the age of eighteen or whatever, they can go and ask a filter to be turned off if there's something that they need to get to that is filtered. That That's the approach that I like the most when it comes to stuff like this. I'm still not a big fan of filtering anyway, but I kind of understand the um, Washington State Supreme Court, Court's point in that they're basically kind of looking at the Internet as an extension of the library's collection. Mm-hmm. And they're basically allowing them to curate that collection just like they would a collection of books or movies or some music or whatever. I'm not sure how the libraries up there compared to here. Right. But um, a lot of libraries also have computer systems that hook them to the databases of other libraries, and those libraries are then able to be checked out through, uh, through the library that the person's in, even though the physical material might be at another library, and which is exactly how the internet works, where it's a collection of computers and allows you to have access to those different servers in different locations. So it's, it's, it's a way of looking at it, but um, 
it, it, it's kind of a harken back to people who are against healthcare because healthcare could be used for abortions. People don't want the same thing happening with the internet in public places. They don't want to have their tax dollars in any way possibly be contributing to uh, a child watching pornography in some sort of library in, in, in some neighborhood somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm kind of curious to see what kind of filtering software they're going to use because I, I've had some experience with some filtering softwares here and there, and they always seem to accidentally take out sites that they should like yep. you want to do medical research, can't do it because it has the word penis in it or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is a little stupid. I'm at a library. Why can't I look up medical research? But that's just kind of a problem that I've always seen with filtering. Then again, I haven't really had too much experience with filters in probably, say, three or four years, so I would think that they'd be a little better, but I'm sure they're still getting lots of false positives. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to have our country talk to China or any other country for uh, censoring when we go ahead and say in our public libraries for our people's general access that the government supplies, we are going to censor that. So I think censoring is one of those all or nothing kind of a thing, uh, which we uh, all are for or all against. But then again, we also still have censored television. Yeah, well, in the end, it may be just that it comes down to security issues, which is apparently a big issue on some universities. Oh, yes. Uh, one of our next story is saying that some universities are, jump, are dumping Gmail over security concerns. I mean, I personally wouldn't want my email outsourced by my company or my university. So I think that's some of the concerns here. Yeah, I- I don't know. I, I, it seems like there's got to be more concerns here than what they really state. I mean, they say that this is um, having to deal with the University of California, and apparently um, about a month ago, Yale made the same decision, and that apparently there's some sec- sort of security issues in regards to outsourcing email, and there's some c- possible compliance issues with like the University of California electronic commu- communications policy, which, I don't know, it, I'm a big fan of Gmail. I've never really noticed any security issues of it. I mean, there was the whole buzz thing, mm-hmm. but I think now they've kind of made that as to where you don't have to worry about that too much. And as far as I know, schools like this are using Google Apps rather than just plain Gmail, as to where it's all branded in their own school and everything like that, which service I've used once, and I like it, because it's essentially Gmail, just with a different logo up in the corner. But Well, I wonder if it has to do with uh, how granular the uh, controls are for the Gmail itself. For instance, uh, how it's backed up, if they can do a local backup, and who, how they can deactivate personal deactivate certain accounts or not. Um, I've never seen the back end of Google Apps, so I'm not sure exactly how granular the controls are for the email, but I'm guessing it has to do with some of that. Yeah, I would guess so. I'm not sure like if you can 
um, download a backup of everybody's email just in case or anything. So it could be more of a security issue from that standpoint of backups and stuff. I'm not real sure. This this is something I'm definitely going to have to look into a little bit more because I'm a big Gmail user, and if there's security issues, I want to know about it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But interesting stuff. Can't wait to look into that a little bit more. Yeah, it sounds more political than anything, and um, I guess that's why there's so little detail about the exact reasons. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if it's, it's some issue with Google or if they have legitimate reasons or what. But speaking of online software, apparently Microsoft's free version of free online version of Office is supposed to premiere this week. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, it's going to be free, but the question is, will it stay that way? Next week, I believe next Thursday... Uh, there's going to be a roadshow and there's going to be a debut party of Office 2010 here in Austin, and I'm going to try to go to it, um, hopefully to glean a little bit more information about the online component, the mobile component, and, of course, the social networking features that are supposed to be debuting with uh, Office 2010. Um, So um, I should have more information about this and not our next show, but the show after that. Yeah, I've, I've used the Office... 2010 beta a little bit, at least a little bit in Word. I haven't gotten a chance to play with Excel or PowerPoint or anything like that. So far, I like it, but I'm really not seeing a huge difference between 2010 and 2007. There are some really nice features that I like when it comes to like copying and pasting from something on the Internet, just where I can choose... If I want to bring all the style information, like font sizes and fonts and stuff like that, from the text that I'm copying into my document, or if I want to strip all that stuff out and just have the words, I mean, there's some really nice features of it. But I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if this online version is going to hamper sales of the regular version. Oh, not at all. Uh, because most of their sales, especially when we're talking about Office, comes from corporate cons- corporate buyers, and they're still going to get the the they're still going to get the 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 bits version to house locally. Especially when you're talking about tie-in into their own servers, their own backup policy, and of course, when you think about corporations, they have their own privacy concerns about how their data is controlled and who gets to see it, um, and and they wouldn't want that going outside and. Speaking of corporations, where you see the biggest change in Office 2010 is in Outlook. I use Outlook. I'm using the Outlook uh, 2010 beta. It is awesome. It's it's faster to search. It doesn't lock up as much as the 2007 version. And um, I think that is something that's going to be not available online, of course. So I, I think that's going to be where most of their sales are going to come from, and so I don't. I think it's a really good move for them to allow people to use Office online. Yeah, the only experience I've ever had with Outlook is when I was going to school out in Utah, and it was just automatically installed on the ThinkPads that they gave us, and it was tied in to our school accounts, and that was my only experience with it, and I loved it. For some reason, I just never decided to have have um, to get it on my own and have it work back and forth with like my Gmail addresses and Hotmail and whatever else. 
just never really wanted to do that. And and I've even tried uh oh what's Mozilla's version Thunderbird mm-hmm. is their um, Outlook type client and theirs I don't like near as much. It's not horrible, but I don't care for it near as much. I'm kind of curious to see how this but how this um, free version of Office itself is going to compete with Google Docs because Google Docs has certainly gotten better and I use it almost daily um, just because of the, a number of features that it has like auto-saving and the fact that it's in the cloud, I can get to it, get to documents from anywhere, stuff like that. I'm kind of curious to see how this competes with that because what was it last week or the week before? I think it was the week before that Google Docs is starting to get some more Office-like features. Right, and you can use the online version of Office 22, I mean 2010, in beta form right now at docs.com. There's an announcement about how they're integrated with Facebook Connect uh, to allow you to use your, your Facebook logon uh, to, to access documents and to share them over Facebook. So if you want to take a look at it now, you can go to docs.com and check it out. Well, now I know where I'll be spending the rest of my evening. But, yeah, that'll be fun to check out. But speaking of the cloud, apparently Mark Cuban is foretelling the demise of Netflix because he sees a future in on-demand video. Yeah, he's essentially saying that streaming video is currently at a bubble, that they're growing too fast and they're just going to burst and explode and collapse on themselves. They said it's not sustainable about their revenue model and uh, how cheaply they're getting their content. And cable companies are going to win. Of course, he would, I mean, as a person who got out of the online streaming business and moved to uh, their own, his own failed uh, high-definition television service, I, I'm not sure exactly if he's way before his time or if he's just totally off on this mark. Yeah, I, I'm kind of curious. He always has some really good insights. I always enjoy reading his blog about various different tech issues and media issues and stuff like this. I'm not sure exactly where I come down on this. I don't know. It there's it seems to be a lot going on with the whole streaming movies thing and Netflix and stuff. I and mean, over the past couple of months we've covered several different stories of movie studios essentially taking more power and saying, Hey, we don't want you releasing our um movies on DVD or whatever for 28 days until after we've started selling them on DVD. And in return, we'll give you a little bit more of our back catalog for streaming that we've, that's probably 20 years old that we really don't care about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where he's, where Mark's coming from is that the, they're letting Netflix and others are letting the, movie companies and the TV companies and stuff have more power in the relationship and it's going to come back to bite Netflix. Yeah. I think the only way that if we're talking about Netflix and Hulu, um, about streaming, um, becoming more dominant is the one thing that he points out is that they're fully reliant on the studios to supply content. Um, if Netflix or Hulu became kind of like 
uh, how the Sci-Fi Network became, they were just uh, rebroadcasting like the Twilight Zone and some, several other uh, techie-centered shows. Uh, but instead of Hulu, if, if Hulu and Netflix started actually producing their own content, I think that would be something that could be very compelling um, and in the future give a platform for smaller production houses to, to have a distribution channel. Kind of like, um, uh, God, what was that one from the people who made Skype? They made their own television show, I mean television station. Um, I guess I didn't know about that, or at least if uh, I do, I don't remember it. Oh, gosh, what is it? I forget the name. It's going to come to me later. Uh, but uh, if they started pre- presenting their own uh, content or maybe even uh, talk to some larger podcast networks for syndication, I know I know, um, like Amazon already does this and TiVo already does this with some podcasters. I think they could really elevate some, uh, some, some content up to first class or first rate status with it being right next to uh next to major network television shows yeah that, that's what i would like to see is a lot more of this um smaller content the podcasts and stuff getting on to netflix or hulu or whatever i'd like to see deals between revision 3 and netflix to stream revision 3 shows on the xbox and stuff like that and just in the past week i've had this thought there really needs to be a site for like curating YouTube content and then um, posting it and maybe even setting up distribution deals with like a Netflix or a Hulu or whatever to not only help the um, producers of the content, which I don't know, write three, five minute videos from vloggers or whoever and just having a way of getting that content out to the masses the stuff that's actually good not the stuff that's complete garbage and then if you um, take something like that and bring it into like a Netflix or whatever then they're not having to pay huge prices for content from the movie studios and they're not completely relying on it as to where they can say hey if you don't want to play ball our way we've got all these people that are just begging to have their content on our services and we can just go that way yeah like this past weekend with betty white on saturday night live that was the voice of the masses saying this is what you want and then it was presented and it was an overwhelming success they had some of the largest viewerships in over a year and a half um and and so i think the people's voice can be very, very potent, can very be very successful. And of course, Saturday Night Live, they sold ads against that, and they got probably some really good revenue from that. Uh, and I think, if let's say, if Betty White said she's going to do a weekly show and her own comedy routine or improv or whatever, and it's only going to be on Hulu or only going to be on Netflix, I think that still would be successful. And it actually might be like uh, Howard Stern as to XM ser- uh, Radio and um, kind of draw where people will go see the person no matter what the medium is. And uh, the TV station, I was, the, the streaming station I was talking about is uh, Juiced. Oh, okay, yeah. 
I guess I didn't realize that was started by them. Yep. Hmm. Well, learn something new every day. Well, speaking of something new that was a little bit of a surprise to me when I heard it, apparently the FCC has decided to give Hollywood control over your home theater thanks to a... Um, a oh, like a waiver for selectable output control. Yes. So help me to understand this one. I, I was reading it. Is this the same thing that they're talking about years ago about plugging the analog hole or planning, plugging the a hole? Yes. Okay. Yes. This yeah. is it's just this just is new words. <laughs> yeah. This is the analog hole. This is just another term for it. Selectable output control. Yeah, this is really going to bug a lot of people. Um, one, me in particular, because I have a, I use a PC as a media center, and it plugs into my television via DVI port. So video would work fine, but the audio is just one of those, um, you know, mini DIN cables, you know, um, like a headphone jack connector. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'll lose that. And uh, of course, same thing's going to go with a lot of laptops that have headphone output because that's an analog output so i wonder how that all is going to work um, for computers yeah this is going to be one of those really interesting things to see and the particular um article that i posted didn't explain it as good as some but it has a little bit more of an in-depth look that at some of it but apparently from my understanding is that the waiver will give movie studios a 90-day period after they decide to activate it or whatever. Usually, in the case of before a movie comes out on DVD, if they want to play something over the air on TV, like on a Showtime or an HBO or one of the premium movie channels, this uh, will have the the HDCP copy protection on it for the 90 days or whatever, so that way they don't have to worry so much about the program being um, showing up on the internet like a well before it's supposed to go on sale for oh, piracy okay. and stuff like that. They don't specifically mention that in this article. I think there was a really small like one-line mention of piracy at the very bottom or something like that. Okay. But that's essentially what this whole thing is about is they want to start um, giving movies to these movie networks like in HBO, Cinemax, that kind of a thing before they actually start selling them on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever and they want to be able to have this um, encryption or copy protection that you'd need an HDMI port to um, be able to check out so that way they can't, their content doesn't leak onto the internet before they, they go on sale and it ends up spoiling the sales, which right. that's really not going to do anything. Though they usually end up out on the internet well before anyway. All right, and this is talking about the broadcast flag, is what you're mentioning too. Uh, yeah, over there. Uh, wow, this is going to break a lot of things, and people are going to be a very, very pissed. So um, they have to make sure that. I mean, things are nice with HD TVs, but. Audio sometimes gets piped through old receivers. Some people might just have an old receiver and just have their DVD player output the video to the television, but have the audio piped through an old receiver in which that won't work. Uh, And a lot of people are going to have to replace some equipment to get this stuff to work. And we already saw, like, what, the Avatar DVD? Mm -hmm. One little change there, 
and uh, a lot of hardware broke. Um, I, I'm guessing a lot of the same thing is going to happen with this. Yeah, this is going to end up hurting a lot of people. If you're using HDMI, you're okay. But if you're using like the component cables or DVI or whatever that doesn't allow the HDCP copy protection in the um, transmission, it's going to break it. So if you have, like an, even if it's an older HDTV, if it doesn't have Blu-ray, if it, I mean, if it doesn't have um, HDMI, you're screwed. Assuming yeah. they decide to um, turn on uh, this control. Now, they don't necessarily have to turn it on. It's kind of a whenever they feel like it, they have a 90-day window to do it, or they have 90 days to do it, or whatever. And I guess the one good thing about this whole waiver is that they're making sure that it they're sticking with HDMI. They can't use it to come up with a scheme of having some kind of a proprietary hardware that has some better encryption or whatever and break even more stuff. Yeah, I think they should wait for a whole new format before doing this, which I think they try to do with Blu-ray, of course, but um, if it, if we're not ready for it, we're not ready for it, and rolling out in the middle of the game is going to anger a lot of folks, but we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, if you want to check out more of this story and get it a little bit better than I explained it, check check it out in at, in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com, which is, of course, where you can find all of our show notes, so you can check out all of these stories that we talked about, plus our tips of the week, which we'll get to in a little bit, but we still got a couple more stories to go. Next one being that Nintendo may follow Microsoft with paid online gaming. Yeah, this is a little departure from their current model, um, but in their Wii's and their DS's, um, they, they've done a poor job of trying to engage their community by making it hard hard for people to find their friends and to network with them online. Yeah, this this kind of makes sense to me, and it'll and our next story will kind of explain a little bit more what I'm talking about, and that a lot of people are buying their Wii's, playing them for a little while until the cool factor of the motion control wears off. Then it just sits on the shelf and collects dust. Don't play it anymore or anything. But if they, but if Nintendo can be like Microsoft and get you paying a subscription for fifty bucks a year or whatever, which is what Microsoft charges and Sony is looking to do, then you may not be buying games from them. The console may be sitting there collecting dust for six months, but they're still getting money. That's pretty much the whole point of this. Yeah. Um, and I. I think it's better to do it that way than to do it the PS3 model, in which they're they're having some problems because they make the game developers pay instead of the users, which is good for the users. But then um, many have said that has restricted their uh, online content a little bit. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what the rate is, but I know develop. But it's like developers have to pay a dollar or ten dollars or something like that to per user or something like that to distribute a just a demo of a game on the PS3 it, it's 
they've really got a kind of a screwed up model. So I'm kind of curious to see what they're going to come out with in terms of of a subscription service, which I assume they're going to announce at E3, possibly the Tokyo Game Show, which I think is usually like a month or so after E3 or something like that. But I'm sure that we'll hear more about that then. And we'll probably hear more about a Nintendo online gaming subscription by then too. But Nintendo really has a lot to do to kind of revamp their whole online experience. And yeah, it's easy to go on there and get old classic games and stuff like that. But when it comes to... Um, being able to interact with your friends, it's very difficult because they use these special friend codes, which is some great mm-hmm. big code that you can't make any heads or tails of. You can't remember it or anything. It's not something easy like a gamer tag. Right. And before that, their excuse has always been, well, that's to make sure that you only have a small community of friends that you actually play with rather than this huge bunch of people that you never play with that are just on there for the sake of having friends, which I don't see why it should really matter to them how I, who I play with or how I play with people on my console. Yeah. But they, they've got a lot of work to do in terms of making the online experience a lot better on the Wii or the DS before they can really make much headway. Yeah, it's just that they're really getting out of touch when they're, uh, what was it, E3 last year, in which they debuted like a health monitor and no real, uh, any real news. Like it was expected mm-hmm. that they might have like a Wii HD and that never happened. Um, they are just taking it too easy and just cashing the checks and not planning ahead. Yeah, rumors seem to be a little bit hotter for an HD version of the Wii this year than last year, so I've got my fingers crossed for that, but who knows, I'm kind of... That's one of those things where I almost wonder if that's going to cause more harm than it does good, because you've got all of these... a huge catalog of games from the last several years that are all made for 420p instead of 720 or 1080. Mm-hmm. And trying to blow that up to a big screen looks really ugly. Well, apparently the graphics are kind of like a vector graphics in which they can be doubled or um, blown up without any pixelation. Uh, I know there's a... Someone got a hold of uh, an emulator uh, development kit and pumped up the resolution to HD quality or resolutions and said that things look great. Uh, Hmm. But we'll see. That I did not know, but apparently Nintendo could kind of be the cause of this whole of a crash in the gaming market because of their whole motion controller idea. Yeah, they're heralding in a new era of Me Too instead of real innovation. Yeah, I was really surprised when I came across this article today from GamesRadar. It's like a three-page thing, going back to the gaming crash of 83, where essentially everybody wanted to get on board with the whole video gaming craze, trying to pump out all these different crappy games, just try and cash in on it. And at that point, everybody was like, wait, I all these games, a lot of these games are crap. I can't tell the difference between what game is 
some crappy knockoff of another game or what's an actually really good game. Mm-hmm. So it scared a lot of people away from gaming, and it basically made a crash as to where there was a lot of companies that went out of business and stuff for it, and it really hurt the gaming market as to where they they didn't recover for a couple of years after that. And they're basically saying that with this whole motion controller thing and the fact that Nintendo has targeted the casual audience and the fact that now Microsoft and Sony are jumping on board and they're going to see an influx of developers wanting to make these casual games that take advantage of this motion control. Everybody's got all these um, game developers are going to come out of the woodworks, flood the market with all kinds of crappy games that aren't innovative or anything. They just use the technology and kind of rip each other off and it's going to turn into a whole bunch of sucky games that nobody can really is really sure what's good, what's bad and it's going to scare everybody off again. Yeah, it's like the fart apps that the comment that keeps being made about the i i i uh, the app store for iPhone. Um, just like how people saying uh, nobody uses Twitter except for uh, saying what they eat. Um, that reputation comes for from a, from an overabundance of crappy software, and uh, we see the same thing with motion control. A lot of people, I know Jeff Bacalar of the 404 wrote a big article about how um, he foresees motion control as a giant gimmick. Like people say, oh, you can move, and moving just like the Wii and the motion control be becomes. It's just a tool. It's not the game. And people are confusing the two and uh, thinking that whatever they throw out there that has motion control will be a success. So be the same thing with this whole, with, uh, with all these consoles supporting motion control. It's, we're going to see a new level of crapware. Yeah, and I think you can kind of already see it happening with Nintendo in that there's been a large number of developers that have stop producing games for the Wii because they're realizing that everybody gets a Wii, plays Wii Fit and Wii Sports or whatever, and doesn't move beyond that. Mm-hmm. So here they are thinking, oh, hey, the Wii's selling like hotcakes. There's a huge market here, when in reality there's not. It's just if you have a Mario game or if your game comes bundled with the console, you have something. Otherwise, you're going to have a real hard time trying to get people to buy your game. Yeah, because people who, as, as it was stated, stated that the Wii brought a record number of new users to the console and to gaming, but um, they, they brought them to the game console, but not the culture of reading the magazines, keeping up with new releases, going to the video game store and see what's new. And I think some of that culture is what's missing on what pushes people to buy new games and uh, without that culture I think you're going to sell a record number of consoles but not necessarily a record number of games unless going back to our previous story there's a really good online component yeah I'm kind of curious to see just just how this plays out because I know um, numbers for game sales and stuff are down so I'm kind of curious to see is this the beginning of a crash or what because this time there's really one major difference between now and the crash of 83 in that we have a way of figuring out what's good and what's crap. 
and that's with all of the gaming sites that do reviews, and even um, something like an iTunes store that lets users review apps and games and stuff like that. It's that since people are actually able to review, it's a whole lot easier to pick out the crap from the stuff that's actually worth downloading. Yeah. Well, they say the cream will rise to the top. The 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 big question mark is, or the big hope is, make sure that we have enough cream, and and not a lot of uh, sediment. Yeah. It, it's it's some scary times. I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen. I I always usually look to E3 to f- and what the announcements are there to kind of figure out what the next year of gaming the gaming industry is going to be like, and from some early leak lists of potential games that are going to be announced, it doesn't look too bad and nothing too stellar in the next year. Maybe it's like some God of War 3. I mean, not God of War 3. There's God of War Ghost of Sparta, um, which was just announced last week. Some Gears of War 3 and stuff like that. So it might not be too bad, but I don't think it's going to be anything stellar over the next year. But anyway, enough gaming talk. Let's talk online privacy, because apparently there's a new bill in the Senate dealing with online pir- privacy. Yeah, this to me, this seems like if this was the uh, bill that was brought up because of the whole Facebook privacy debacle about how people felt that some of it was opt-out as opposed to opt-in, and people are concerned about who gets their data and how it's being used. Yeah, I'm kind of really worried about this. I mean, yeah, Privacy is good and everything, but when you legislate privacy like this, most cases you're going to get it wrong and screw something up horribly. Mm-hmm. And then with as many businesses and stuff that kind of depend on a lot of this information that they're considering private, it's going to kill a lot of businesses. Yeah, it's very, very specific, which is what I have a problem with. Uh, some of the data that they said they can't share, it's very specific as in you can't do X, you can't do Y, you can't do Z. But a lot of people, when they see laws like this, they say, well, you didn't say you couldn't do you couldn't do X or you couldn't – I mean you couldn't do uh, L or M or N. Uh, and there are things like, well, that's important too. You should have known the spirit of the law. Well, that's one thing that's not covered is that there are things that are more important than – social security numbers of some people, uh, even phone numbers. And um, one thing that's not even listed is like something like sexual orientation is not listed here. I, I know some people who find that very personal, but that's not covered. Yeah, basically they want to focus on your full name, social security number, telephone number, bank account number, biometric data, presumably your address and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Basically, anything that would identify you without much question as to who you are for sure. Right. And let's say, like, here that um, some exemptions are, uh, it says in quotes, no consent is required to collect and use operational or transactional data. The routine web logs or session cookies are necessary for uh, functioning on the website or to use aggregate data or data that has been rendered anonymous. And we know like from the Netflix challenge and from the AOL uh, research project that no data is truly anonymous because you can still discern who people are. 
Yeah, and with this, they're saying that all this information has to be kept like encrypted on a database that you control and everything. And to give this legislation a little teeth, it's the FTC that's going to be um, enforcing the rules, as well as state attorney generals and state consumer protection agencies. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't. I'm, I think that if people feel feel that they're being wronged, that their data was sent out without uh, knowing it, um, they should just sue and let the the courts. The penalties be a deterrent from from implementing this wrong because it's this is not going to be easy to police and it's just going to make it a lot harder for startups to try to implement their services and this is really going to stifle innovation because the 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 law uh, implementation uh, <laughs> the implications of doing this wrong when we're talking especially at the FTC level might even stop businesses before they start because they wouldn't be able to afford the legal fees to make sure they have the right infrastructure to deliver this, this their service appropriately. Yeah, well, I, I think we talked about it on the last show, a uh, post that I did, I think it was like Friday before last, about this whole um, Facebook stuff as far as sharing your friends' information, stuff like that, and sharing your information to different sites and everything. And the point that I made there, and I think I even talked about it on the show last week, was that this kind of stuff is necessary for the future for startup companies and stuff because we need to work on getting people more used to the idea of being a little bit more free with their information and not being as careful with their information so that way we can that way startups can have like a database of information that they can work from and that they can easily work together with other sites and have different layers of inter- interoperability with other sites and services and stuff like that and this is just something that it needs to be um done by somebody facebook's really the only one that can pull it off and it's pretty much the only way to get people to not necessarily realize that they're giving out all this information yet still getting great value from it. So when a situation comes up in the future that they're like, Hey, there's, there's a site that says, Hey, give us your information. They're not going to think twice about it. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's kind of almost kind of what needs to happen. Cause I mean, I personally know a lot of people that, they're afraid to even so much as say their name on the internet, rather less anything else. Mm-hmm. And for the, and generally those are the older generation that don't use the internet too much anyway, and see different stories on the news about people getting ripped off and are worried about it and stuff like that that aren't really aware of how to deal with security and stuff. But it's those kind of people that we really have to work on and I think these senators and stuff that are proposing this fall under that category of people that aren't too that aren't willing to be free with their information when they should be which and the whole thing this is actually senators bringing this up when they're basically having to live their lives in public because they're senators that's just kind of stupid mm-hmm. well I'm just hoping that it won't turn in um, ever use your browser and turn off the automatically accept cookies and then you get a pop-up every three seconds for cookies 
Mm, I, no, I've never really messed with cookies. I just say, give them to me, and I'll clean them out when I'm done or whatever. All right, well, here's a fun experiment. Just go ahead and turn off automatically accept cookies and try surfing the web. It is agonizing of how many pop-ups you have to agree to to accept cookies before a page will load or when you change uh, to a new tab or something like that. Um, and I'm afraid like legislation like this is going to cause uh, an abnormal amount of prompting and disclosure uh, to even get onto a website. Yeah, it's really going to screw things up. But can, But speaking of pissing the public off... Apparently, Skype is seriously considering running ads in Skype. Oh, and I'm guessing by that intro that you are anti-ads on Skype. It depends on how they do them. If, if it's just like they take up like a lower third of the application to have some kind of a banner ad at the bottom, I really don't care. I don't pay any attention to those anyway. But if I have to listen to like a 10-second ad before my call to you goes through, that gets really annoying. Yes, definitely. Oh, so, what about an ad on the out on an outro? <laughs> you hang up with me, and then you start hearing an ad. And, you... Well, by then I usually take my headphones off and start walking into the other room because call graph takes a little bit before to convert the recording into MP3 before I can go in and edit the recording. So, so, so you wouldn't mind that though. So that that I probably wouldn't mind too much, but I I don't know I don't use. Skype as much as some people, so I don't know. It I, it would probably depend, is it going to be one of those things where it's just Skype to Skype? Is it Skype out? Is it Skype in? Yeah. How all, how it's going to work exactly? Or it could be um, if you use Goog 4.1, it's a call connected by uh, level 3 communication or something like that. Like a small blip. Mm. Uh, three three seconds. I'm surprised that it's taken so long. If they could for, do something like maybe while it while the call's ringing or something, right? And that's clearly communicated to me that they're saying, "Hey, we're trying to connect you," but in the meantime, why don't you think about trying a Big Mac at McDonald's? Mm-hmm. That that's something that I w- probably wouldn't mind too much as long as I still understand that I'm still being I'm still in the connection process. Yeah, I mean. There have been ads and uh, instant messaging clients for a long time, and a lot of people still, use, I mean, do use Skype as an instant mes- messaging client. So they still, even though they they're primarily voice, um, and our next article talks about their video play, um, they are still heavily used um, as an IM client. So they still do have eyeballs. Yeah, I, I'm one of the people that uses it as an IM client client not usually all that often usually it's kind of like a back channel when I'm on a Skype call mm-hmm. like I know there's been times when I'll pass links back and forth while we're doing the show or whatever or communicating with guests and on the back end while doing the show or whatever but speaking of doing calls apparently now they're getting ready to launch five-way video calling on Skype so they're Finally playing catch-up to Uvu. Yeah, this is extremely exciting. Um, this is something that's also going to have them have uh, re- refine their compression. I know that they did have uh, five-way calling in a, a, a while back ago. Uh, I know Intel had a promotion in which they allowed it on, on their processors for a while, and only their processors. It was a big stink over at AMD about that. 
Um, but um, this is something that's exciting. I, I love to see uh, new features being rolled out for free. Uh, at least it's going to be for free for now, but it might also be tied to their ad platform. Yeah, I'm kind of curious if it'll be tied to an ad platform. They're saying it'll be free for a couple of months anyway, but I'm also kind of curious is after that couple of months, is it going to be like maybe tied to a monthly subscription or tie, or a Skype out minutes or something like that? I'm kind of I'm really curious to see just how excuse me, just how well it works because I've used Uvu once or twice in the past for video calls and it seemed to work pretty well and that was like two years ago so. Skype's really kind of behind on this, so I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how the performance is in comparison. I'm curious to see, now that Skype can do high-definition video, can you do that with five windows at once? If I wanted to set up five different monitors, can I have a high-def signal on each monitor? I, I, I'm kind of curious to see just how well this is going to work. Yeah, yeah they're going to have problems, but... I mean, there's there's growing pains and everything, but I'm glad that they're not letting the platform stale out. I mean, I mean, eBay was not really pushing the envelope, and I think this this is something that does, and I'm glad to see it being rolled out. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they've done a whole lot for a long time. Ever since the everything kind of erupted about eBay wants to get rid of. Skype, who's going to buy Skype? Will it be the founders? Will it be Mark Andreessen? Who will, who, who's going to buy Skype? Ever since that kind of started, it seemed like Skype just kind of dropped off. They went stale. They didn't. They weren't working on major features. I think within that whole time period, they may have done the high-definition video thing, but that's the only real um, advancement they've had in a long time. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this is the first step and more of a rapid iteration of the product. Right. Especially them trying to make more money through their advertisement or uh, alternate revenue channels. Um, uh, innovation is, is grown from trying to solve a problem and it looks like they're, they're trying to do it. And uh, that's why we're seeing new features like five way video calling. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to try it out. It might be cool to try out a five-way video episode of the show at some point in the near future. Yeah, uh, which also spurs innovation of new tools to record those calls so we can put it on the podcast. Yeah, I've been kind of looking into some video recording stuff. I haven't had a chance to play with any stuff that um, records Skype video, but if anybody has any recommendations for it, let me know. I've gotten several recommendations. I'm basically looking for stuff that'll maybe do like lower thirds, do some record like a split screen, something like that. Or if I have to have something that'll edit in the lower third later or whatever, if you happen to know anything like that, let me know. But that would be all of our stories for this week, and we're about out of time anyway, and we have a ton of tips of the week again more than even last week so go ahead and start right off with the first one which of course you can find all of these tips at globalgeeknews.com along with all the other show notes first one being you can add the facebook like button to your wordpress blog 
bunch of different ways to do it for you can go through and edit your theme files kind of a little bit of an explanation on how to do that or probably the easiest option is to use a plugin and they give a number of different plugin recommendations on here this this uh post coming from Mashable and the one that I actually seem to be liking and installed this afternoon which is kind of like my a little bit of announcement for today in that there is now like buttons on all of the posts and everything at Global Geek News. There's also the whole like box, fan box thing on the right navigation that you can check out. But I'm using the Facebook Social Plugins um, plugin, which is among the list of plugins on here. And it seems to do a pretty good job, nice and customizable. Allows you to insert things like the fan boxes and stuff like that. Really neat stuff. If you have a WordPress blog and you're looking to figure out, hey, how can I put the like button on there or the like box or fan box or whatever you want to call it, this would be the um, little guide for you, and that would be my plug-in recommendation for you. The second is how to jailbreak any iPhone, iPod Touch, or iPad. For those of you that own any of those devices and are interested in jailbreaking them, what the benefits are, stuff like that. Great big guide here from Gizmodo on how to do all that. Which, I don't know, I might just go through and jailbreak my iPod Touch. Not real sure why, but why not? Um, speaking of things that you can do, apparently there's a new, or well, I don't know how new it is, but there's a program called Error Message. E-R-R-M-S-G, for those of you that want to Google it instead of looking for it in the show notes. Uh, apparently you can use it to decipher Windows error codes. So if you ever get a error code that gives you some weird hex number or whatever, you can now enter that in here and it'll tell you what exactly that error code means. So you're not trying to Google your way around and then figuring out, okay, what does this error code mean? I've never seen this before. How do I get past it? Well, this will help you with that. And speaking of other helpful tools, there's a list of keyboard shortcuts for the Ubuntu 10.04, which is the uh, Lucid Links or whatever that um, that came out what was it last week or whatever, which I still haven't gotten around to playing with that. I've got all... Everything I need downloaded, I just haven't got it installed. But hopefully in the next week, maybe I'll get it installed and maybe get a little review of it up. So it's been a while since I've used Ubuntu, or in my case, Kubuntu, because I'm a hardcore KDE person. I'm not a GNOME fan. Um, second to last thing is how to make the most of your Twitter profile page. Uh, especially if you're looking to like drive traffic to other pages, this is kind of little tips on how to write your bio, your links, choosing the right kind of a picture for you and and stuff like that and how to and keeping an eye on your most recent tweets that people are going to see when they go to your page, stuff like that just to be aware of. So, if you're looking to better organize and monitor your Twitter profile page, this would be the link for you. And finally, our last one, probably my personal favorite, Although I do like a couple of, like the Facebook like button and stuff. Last one is how to share your own files using BitTorrent. I know that there's been a number of occasions, 
occasions where I have a large file that I need to send to somebody, but it's too large for email, way too large for email. Um, a lot of times it's too big for like a Dropbox or a Drop.io or whatever, and you want something that's good and reliable and you don't want to try and mess with sending a file over instant messenger because that'll take three weeks. Well, you can use you can share the files to your friends, your family, or whatever using BitTorrent. So for those of you that have always used BitTorrent for downloads rather than uploading and sharing something, this might be a little bit new for you, something that's good to know and is an easy way of transferring files from one place to another when the sneaker net is not available. But anyway, that would be all of our links for this week, all kinds of which, of course, you can find in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. Don't forget, you can stick any comments or suggestions for the show in the comments for the post at globalgeeknews.com. And you can always get a hold of us at globalgeeknews at gmail.com or the Global Geek News Twitter account, which is at globalgeeknews. Or you can always get a hold of me personally. I am at PCNerd37. And you can get a hold of Wesley, who is at Wesley83. Yep. And all kinds of different ways to get a hold of us. If there's questions, comments, suggestions, whatever, we're up for interviews, it don't matter. <laughs> anyway... That would be all for this week. Don't forget, if you like the show, you find value in the show, please support us. There is a um, donations page if you want to name your own amount of donation. There's also, in the link, in the show notes, there is a link for a $5 a month subscription. We could really use some help in terms of paying server bills, um, domain bills, stuff like that. I'm still several hundred dollars in the hole. Because, unfortunately, Google AdSense doesn't really make you a whole lot of money. So I'm, I'm still a large way in the hole, and I'd like to do some upgrading of the recording equipment and stuff like that so that we can do a whole lot more with the show, maybe some video, maybe some sound bites, stuff like that. So if you'd like to help the show, if you're able to help the show, um, please feel free to donate. Any If you go to the um, globalgeeknews.com slash donations, which is the big button up at the top of the page, and donate anything over $100, I will personally send you a shirt from the Global Geek News online store, which that's also linked to at the top of the site. So, if you're really extra generous, we will send you a shirt in return. But, anyway, I guess that's pretty much it for this week. Unless there's anything you want to mention. We're still available for parties and bar mitzvahs. I don't know too much about bar mitzvahs. <laughs> parties, okay. maybe. All right, well, we'll be available next week, definitely. Yeah, LAN parties for sure. I'm always up for those. Although my new computer is a little on the heavy side, so I don't know how many of those I can do. Anyway, that would be it. We will see you guys next week. Don't forget to share the show with all of your friends and family, and we will see you guys next week. Later. Later. <laughs>